The American Broadcasting Company premiered Twin Peaks on April 8, 1990. On June 10, 1991, only 14 months later, its second season ended and Twin Peaks was over. But it was not over. In 1992, a prequel film, Fire Walk With Me, was released, and its depiction of the suffering and violent murder of a teenaged girl while failing to resonate with American audiences at the time became especially popular in Japan. In the years that followed, the franchise developed a cult following around the world, of fans fascinated by the show's ambiguity, its unresolved finale, its missing pieces. In 2017, Twin Peaks returned, but its return was by no means a victory lap, a tidy conclusion, or a joyous homecoming for fans. On the contrary, the third season, which some have called its strongest, called into question the value of nostalgia and, by extension, problematized its own continued existence. Is it a mistake to cling to the past as a source of meaning? Is it wise to reopen a text that was closed decades ago to expect that old text to yield new answers? And this is the third strongest podcast. Episode three. This is the third strongest episode of the third strongest podcast. I don't know if that actually works. Does that work? I think they're all the third strongest episode. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's mathematically impossible. I guess we'll find out once they're all done. Yeah. I think for now it's okay to like hypothesize that this one is the third strongest. Sure. Could be. Uh, we, we wanted to talk about, we had just gotten done defeating Frank and converting him into failure Frank. And it, it behooved us to go to the town hall and brag of our victory. But Zach, you wanted to cover some stuff in town before we went to town hall. Oh, right. Uh, we didn't go kind of the south end of town because we got distracted Bush Hospital is here. I didn't look up the thing I was supposed to look up about Bush Hospital. I forgot. Uh, uh, that's well, fine. I didn't either. <laughs> uh, we can just cut that. Or and not. It's too late. I already edited the episode. Okay, very good. So it's in there. Mm. Wonderful. Um, there's a sign out here before we go inside. Or no, there's a person out here that talks about somebody that is checking every sign. And then after they check the sign saying, check a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which just makes me laugh um I, I was gonna say we should explain how hospitals work in brief and that it's that there's three different people that will heal you to some degree there's the nurse who will revive uh unconscious party members with like the assumption that they were immediately brought to the hospital after being knocked unconscious yeah sure hmm um, there's the doctor who can cure, like, common status ailments, I think. I never use him. I never use him either. I was about to ask if he can cure colds. I think it's, yeah, like that caliber of illness. Okay, but also paralysis, right? No. Stuff, no? Okay. Because that's under the purview well, of then what the, can you do? the healer. Yes. The, what did they call them? They they kind of give them a name here. The Magic Healing Group or something. It really sounds like a cult. We have the Magic Healing Shrine or Temple, the lady next to him explains. We're here in every hospital to cure things that the conventional doctor can't handle. And it all, like, it's like... Faith healing quacks built into the game as a game mechanic. And why? Like, it's a definite decision to make th these weird illnesses be healable only by this weird extra guy instead of putting all that in the main doctor. So it's it's an intentional move to give the weird faith healer some his own little mechanic yeah that does make things more complicated maybe it makes more sense if you're in japan maybe yeah I mean, it also kind of acknowledges that the adventure you're having is outside the realm of normal human experience yeah hmm the stuff that the healer heals is like paranormal 
Whereas the stuff that the doctor yeah. heals, like a, a doctor mm-hmm. could reasonably prescribe you something to heal you. It's weird to me that there's a hospital here at all. Because you don't need one at this point mm. in the game. There's kind of a lot of tutorialization going on here for a mechanic that won't be relevant for the next hour or so. Uh, longer than that, geez. And so I, it, it kind of makes me wonder if at some point in the design there were more... There were maybe a second party member here. Hmm. Well, also, you're going to come back here with other party members. so Yeah, but at that point, you don't really need the hospital here either. No, but it's still there as a utility. Yes. Yeah, maybe it's good to get used to it, just to, when you don't need it yet, to understand how it works for, for when you do need it. The other thing I notice, like, in relation to this is they don't let you go into mock pizza early. There's a oh, mock yeah. pizza branch right nearby. But instead of letting you go in there and get the number for mock pizza so you can order pizzas, they're like, you're going to have to, we're foreshadowing this. There'll be mock pizza stuff later on, but it's too complicated for right now. So it's it's extra strange to me that the hospital gets left in. Hmm. Well, pizzas aren't, uh, they, they would heal too much at this point. Mm, okay. That, that that would be too far ahead on the healing curve. I see. There's also a person here who is in the hospital because they got smashed by a mouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Good foreshadowing. Yeah. There's also a lady here who came to the hospital to visit her friend and then slipped on a banana peel or something. And <laughs> now she has to be uh, an inmate at the hospital. Yeah. A patient, I guess is what it's called. No, it's inmate. You're right. Oh, okay. <laughs> the hospital music is too cool for a hospital. It's really good. It's like, it sounds more like mall music to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We it. who were around in the 90s <laughs> know what a mall sounds like. They still I mean, have malls now. Yeah, but mm, yeah. only for paintball and zombies. <laughs> the mall by me has vending machines where you can buy bootleg Game Boy cartridges. Wow. Whoa. It's pretty rad. So if you needed a copy of Emerald, like, the, this, this vending machine's <laughs> got your back. <laughs> wow, what a world. Uh, okay, one more thing down here in the south part of On It to deal with is uh, i guess beak point yeah which is like a little it turns out on it borders at least a, a body of water yeah mm. we're up here in and the pacific since Northwest. we're in eagleland yeah um if like the 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 implication you kind of have to take is that the borders of eagleland look like an eagle and this is the the beak of that eagle I don't know if you have to accept all of those <laughs> conclusions, but that's kind of the sense you get. And so, um, yeah, you can kind of believe that this is the Pacific Northwest and we're up in the Northwest corner. Something like sure. that. Sure. Mm-hmm. There is a guy out here playing a saxophone. Yes. Or a similar looking instrument at four by six pixels. And uh, if you bug him, he says something. I, I forget what he says. But then he plays the New World Symphony at you just out of nowhere <laughs> on top of the Onet music, uh, but in the same key as the Onet music. So it's kind of a nice counterpoint. Yeah, I like this guy. A classic figure in Earthbound. And then there's the the maybe the most important thing in Onet. Uh, there's a house here. This house, and there's a man here that will sell you this house. Oh. Tom Nook is here. <laughs> yeah, there's a the, there's a grand tradition of buying houses in games that aren't really about buying houses. Uh, is this the first installment in that? And from here we get to Hyrulean homeowner. Hmm. 
I feel like almost certainly not, but I can't prove it wrong. <laughs> I would like to know what the other examples are, because I, I, I feel like there's more than that, but the examples are not springing to mind. Anyway, how much does he want for this house? Oh, I forget. $7,500. That's a bargain. That's not bad. You don't have that much money right now, though. Yeah, I don't have not, something to look forward not. to. Probably not. You can grind for $7,500 at this point <laughs> in the game. People have done that because they're bored. But you already have a house. That's true, but it's not my own cool house that I can yeah. decorate with all the fun stuff I found on my adventure. <laughs> I can't put my gyroids at home. I gotta yeah. put them here. Uh, no, you can. so you can come back and buy this house at some point. And uh, I think the man says something to the akin of no refunds. Because you walk sure. into the house, and it turns out that oceanfront view he was talking about exists because there's no back wall. There's no back wall. The place is a wreck. It's worse than the traveling entertainer's shack that yes. we'll talk about later. Um, and it's, I forget, I, I'm not sure if this is what they call a brick joke. Maybe it's a shaggy dog joke where to get this house, you have to come back to Onet much later in the game and go to this weird corner of the map and remember this thing where you wanted to buy a house for $7,500. And it turns out it sucks. It's a pretty good joke. I think this might also be... Uh, I don't remember for sure, but I can't think of anywhere else besides um, the morning of dawn or the moment of dawn where mr fuzzy pickles takes your picture in onet hmm yeah I believe you're correct okay he comes down here in the in into the middle of the house apparently the roof has problems too <laughs> to commemorate your buying a house you dork also in one of the drawers mm. there's like a magazine excerpt I think it was a magazine. I don't know. Yes, you found an old magazine. Are you going to read it? Say no. Say no. No. Good. That may be the best choice. <laughs> I've never done that one before. That's good. Me neither, but I just saw it in the text dump. Uh, that's good. Uh, okay. Here, you want me to read it? Yeah. My Secret Life, Chapter 3, story from the previous chapter. I was neither a murder suspect nor a target for an international spy organization, but I drove a car down the Jersey Turnpike at 80 miles per hour. A police officer pulled me over and asked for my driver's license. He said I was going 20 miles per hour over the speed limit. I instantly pointed to my wife and said, I'm in a hurry. My wife is in labor. Fortunately, my wife actually had a big stomach. I hoped he'd let me go with this excuse. Oh, since it's an emergency, I'll lead you to the hospital with my police car, he said. No, it's not necessary. Why not? asked the officer. Uh, well, let's get going, said the officer. No, no, we can't. This baby is a demon child. <laughs> it's very good. We, yeah. Again, like, I think Shaggy Dog is the best descriptor for this whole situation. And in my notes, it says right here, uh, perhaps... Uh, the like my my takeaway from our discussions last episode lack of focus is one of this game's assets mm. there the game takes any opportunity to just go off on a weird tangent and include a pile of nonsense that has nothing to do with anything else just for the heck of it very gutsy yeah this one always felt like extra out there even compared to some of the other jokes in the game <laughs> yeah like suddenly there's yeah. just this piece of prose in the middle of it yeah yeah that's not usually how this game operates uh and it's very unique for that and i like it quite a bit because of that yeah and it's an object lesson for designers i think uh because you kind of learn uh, in, in like making games that you want to reward players for exploration. Mm. 
and like it can be tough to say well like what do i have that can be a reward there's only so many things in the thing i'm making um but like here the reward is uh, just prose just a story <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything <laughs> yeah you don't actually get any items or anything right you get the photo I, and you get like a little story and background yeah, you'd only need to do this. I don't know do if you this... even call it background. Yeah, I don't know, like flavor. Yeah. You would only need to do this if you're going for 100%. Yeah. That's the the the, the joke here is that speedrunners consider 100% of the game getting all of the uh photos. Oh. And um that's, you know, uh something that you can do in the, you know, post 90s world where uh I guess not necessarily post nineties, but in like the, the internet world where we can kind of just figure out once and for all, how many photos there are within the game. You don't really have any indication of whether you have all the photos or not. Mm -hmm. There's like, you can try to go for 100%, but the game has no infrastructure for <laughs> letting you know if you have 100% or not. Yeah, in so a you might oh, go ahead. you might not find out until your second or third playthrough some of these things. Yeah. If you forget about the house or something, you might never know until you play it again. In a modern version of this, you would have the photo album like in your inventory or like mm -hmm. at, sitting yeah. somewhere that you'd be able to check. Yeah. Uh, also, the this kind of a challenge did exist in the '90s, but it was limited to like reading Nintendo Power to see people's like. Hey, we want you to submit your best time for this kind of yeah, game. Yeah. Mm. Or uh, the one I always remember is how many Genji gloves can you find in Final Fantasy VI? <laughs> and then a bunch of smart kids figured out that you can get infinite Genji gloves. <laughs> and so they were all at the top of the list. Cool. So th that stuff has existed all along. It's just that the internet got good enough for people to do online leaderboards. Well, well that I mean, that stuff existed all along. But the specific thing I was trying to say was that the knowing what you can, what uh, is what knowing what the limits of the game are, is something that you can't get from the game. Mm. You have to get it from yes. an outside source. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Okay, uh, I think I'm good here. We need to get to the mayor at some point, probably. We can go back to town hall. Did we point out that Town Hall uses the drugstore music? Nope. Uh, it is a big... I want to say some more about the music a little later, um, but the, like, the tone of Town Hall is kind of dopey based on that music, mm. when they could have used other uh, like interior songs from the game that convey different moods but i'll talk about that some more later go up to the mayor's office the cop doesn't kick you out this time i think he says something really obsequious like thank you so much for destroying frank he or the mayor is very excited to see you and uh gives a very like thorough statement of what you did to frank that's always very funny oh, yeah <laughs> it's like you kicked his butt you kicked the shark's butts you made them wet their pants <laughs> you bit their head off your their heads off spit in their eyes and made them wet their pants then you forced them to promise not to make any more trouble this is a weird storytelling technique it's goofy like <laughs> yeah. it's it, it <laughs> I don't think that we're meant to understand that the the past is being rewritten exactly. Like, it's not that the, we're finding out about the details that were abstracted away in the combat sequence. Mm. Um, it's just very juvenile the, in a way that's very yeah, yeah. fun. Yeah. He's really excited, uh, it sounds like. He's almost like spinning before your eyes the story. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, what? You want a key to the Turing Entertainer check for someone as great as you? Giving you a key could keep help keep the town peaceful. However, if you encounter a dangerous situation, please don't ask me to take any responsibility. I'll be able to avoid any responsibility, right? No. I'm 
a very important man in these parts. Do you think I'm important? And then if you say yes, he's like, good job. <laughs> no, he says, if you say no, he says, look, I'm the big cheese around here. And a brat like you should realize when someone is trying to be nice. Wow. And then you have to start the dialogue chain over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like the mayor's assistant nearby asks you to give a speech supporting the mayor. Yeah, there's a big like push about like, oh, the election's coming up. So we got to gear up for that. Uh, what struck me about all this stuff in the mayor's office, which I think is a tone that the game keeps going with for the rest of the game, is that these, the mayor and his cronies aren't crooked exactly. They're not like, like money under the table, illicit dealings. They're all just kind of, I don't know, feckless or just self-interested. Mm -hmm. And later on with, like, the theater owners and people along those lines, we're not encountering evil. We're encountering just normal human selfishness. Hmm. Yeah. And there are, there are cases where the, like, the badness of humanity ramps up from baseline selfishness into actual evil um but it's interesting that like the game isn't trying to like, it would be easy to cast this whole story arc in terms of the mayor being a much worse guy right mm -hmm. and i think that a game with a different tone would be tempted to go in that way and make everybody just really slimy instead of just kind of slimy uh i the earthbound is very careful about how it dishes out evil versus the you know evil light or whatever you want to call it yeah there's hmm. a there's a demarcation between your mundane like evil and then like the evil that's associated with like the villains of the game yeah there's also yeah. like I, I'm realizing now that there's maybe also something about all these, like, greedy figures that you have to contend with at the various parts of the game are all adults. And oh, you yeah. as children mm -hmm. are navigating that, and there's kind of maybe something thematically yeah. going on there. Um, yeah, let's get into this. There's, I think, as, as a game marketed to children, right? Mm. Um. Or two teens. I, I don't know exactly who the target audience for this game is. Um, although parts that spring to mind make me think it tends younger. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the idea, like, adults are the villains because it's easy to see, easy for kids to see adults as the bad guys, the oppressive force. And the... Uh, Adults, the, the evil that adults do in this game is the type of stuff that um, affects kids. The adults won't listen to reason. Um, they are arbitrary in how they, you know, enforce their rules. And dismissive. Mm -hmm. Yes. They don't listen. Yeah, I think there's a, a big thing like the adults are the bad guys because that's just like the default perspective of stories about kids yeah mm. and there's a certain amount of the nature of adults being opposed by the innocence of children although it's it's hard to say that children are depicted in this game as being innocent or noble because there's so many kids in this game that are also kind of trashy yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and there's all kinds of adult behavior that's all different kinds of, like, yes. disruptive or dismissive. Not just, like, one adult faction that acts the same way. Yeah, yeah. And that comes with just the fact that you're traveling through, you know, it's a, it's a road movie. Yeah. Where you're just encountering a lot of different people. So it's not like it's, if this game was just in on it, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Earthbound remake part one, 
when they just put on it in the first game, we get a lot more of this uh, factionalism between the kids and adults. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. <sighs> um, Should we go to the entertainer's that... shack? What are you going to say? I want to do a big... I'm not sure when other time I could bring this up would be. So I'm going to bring this up now. Um, a while back, they found, I don't remember all the details, uh, this disc with a bunch of development and localization information on it. Yeah. For think, the game. I think the, the translator, Marcus Limbaugh, found, hey, I have some old material for when I was translating the game. And it was like, the the floppy was all or the disc was all deleted but they were able to undelete it with like wow. forensic techniques is that right or did i make that some up some of it was written over is what it was it's like a disc that got reused but yeah yeah because not all of it was overwritten some of the files were still there and they were able to recover some of the information and this is all in an article at gamehistory.org so check that on out uh, but when you were going through this article, Zach, you noticed something that nobody else seemed to notice that I think is a, a big deal for analysis of Earthbound. In the internal files, there's a bunch of a bunch of just random NPCs have names. So uh, Paula's mother is named Isabella. Hmm. The lady who sells Jeff the bubble monkey is named Nancy. The b highway bus driver is named Harry. Oh, wow. Uh, the Foreside Museum receptionist is named Catherine. The Summers Museum receptionist is named Audrey. Now I'm picking out oh. specific hmm. names. There's, there's some other names that don't go along with this theme. The Stoic Club waitress is named Josie. And <laughs> in uh, Town Hall, the mayor's secretary is named Donna. Now what do these names have in common? Well, I know the answer to this question. It's that they're all characters from the television show Twin Peaks. Except for Isabella, but we have to assume that she's named after Isabella Rossellini. Right. Okay. The Onet librarian is named Lucy. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's a ton of Twin Peaks characters hidden in the, like, it's not that the Twin Peaks characters are hidden in the game, but the people making the game are thinking about Twin Peaks while they're making this game, clearly. I mean, that totally makes sense. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um when you when you start looking at this through a Twin Peaks angle, which of course is always still easy to look at anything through a Twin Peaks angle if you're a Twin Peaks fan, you just see it everywhere. Um uh, but this gives <laughs> some actual legitimacy to interpreting Earthbound through a Twin Peaks lens. And I think that the issue of evil in a small town and the gradations between just the evil of some, you know, scummy guy versus cosmic evil um, is worth looking into. But of course it took me so long to actually draw this connection that now I can't really say anything useful about it. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of games at the time, not a lot of games. There, there are definitely other games that it were influenced at the time because Twin Peaks was just really popular in Japan. Yeah, yeah. I, I have, yeah, I don't have a conclusion. It just that makes sense that the devs were thinking about that and I think drawing on that what, a little bit. The conclusion, or not really a conclusion, but the the upshot of this is that if we feel the need to bring up Twin Peaks in later analysis. Uh, now we have some legitimacy for that perspective. Mm. Glad you brought it up now. You're welcome. <laughs> so those entertainers. Oh, we, yeah. We've been leaving them hanging. They've just been outside for days now. <laughs> uh, Not we, me. I hardly rested at all. Uh, we can take the key to the shack and open it up for them. And yeah. here is a really interesting thing where... You can immediately just walk into the building 
and move on with the game. Uh, or you can turn around and talk to the entertainers after you've opened it up. And they're very grateful and will give you a travel charm. An equipable item for your person. Is it a good item? Not really. At that point, do you have it? You don't have anything yet that can be equipped in that slot, right? Or maybe that's, nothing good. I, th- I think that's right. Um, so it is I good. I didn't have anything. Yeah. But, but it's good to have something. But all it does, it doesn't grant any defense. It only protects oh. against paralysis. Oh. Hmm. Which is not really an issue. Not at this point at in the, the game. Uh, but it does feel good to put fill that slot up with an item. Yeah, yeah it does. Yep. <laughs> you get real video game brained about it. Yeah. That but is it, interesting that, that if you just decide to like play it as a game and walk right through their house, you miss that the first time. Yeah, because these guys vanish as soon as it's open. Oh, okay. You, so you it, can't even come back. The next time right. you walk in and walk back out, they're gone from the game forever. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, the music inside the shack is one of my favorite pieces of music. Um, there's several uh, pieces of music for interiors, just when you're in people's houses, that have a, an undertone of, I want to say, suspiciousness. You know what I mean? Mm. Or just... When they use that synth tuba, <laughs> it feels like uh, like the person who lives here, again, must be kind of a shady guy. Or maybe it, it represents the fact that you're sneaking around in someone else's house. Um, and it, it really sticks with me that this ends up getting used and that that kind of suspicious tuba keeps on showing up throughout the game and <laughs> lends a real sense of infiltration to stuff that otherwise is just normal RPG stuff, barge into people's houses and talk to them. And it reminds me of, because I use the word suspicious, the Link's Awakening writers wanting to create a world of suspicious types, mm, remember? Yeah. Which was based on their desire to emulate Twin Peaks. Hmm. And the the suspicious tuba doesn't sound like anything in, in Angelo Badalamenti's score, but it I feel like it's all of a piece with this kind of this idea that something a little bit sinister is lurking. Yeah. I I, I get a lot of uh connections between this game and Link's Awakening as well. Just just playing it again. I mean, similar era, but I feel like there's a lot mm-hmm. in common and it makes sense that they have similar influences. Zach has no opinion. I'm thinking about something else that we're going to get to later on that connects to this. Okay. Um, I want to say, as we get into this first dungeon, that... It's like important to note that this early stretch where you're just Ness solo and pretty low leveled is among like the most perilous parts of the game. Because if you're not paying attention, it's real easy to get knocked out. Um to various yeah, I remember degrees. Having yeah. a lot of difficulty. Yeah. And when we get to some of the bosses in this episode, I'll get into that more. But uh it's just important to note because it's an RPG and because the numbers are so low at this point. Uh, this can be tricky mm. if you're a child doing this. But you have to learn the techniques at your yeah. disposal yeah. to mm-hmm. n- minimize some of the risk. Yeah, they don't really make it easy. Zach is first... trying to do a segue. Oh, no, she can. Shush, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> I want to know the segue, though. I, oh, I was, I was thinking over you, I think. <laughs> That's okay. Um, no, so because... In this video game, the enemies are on the map. Um, and because enemies are like... There, there are certain spawn points on the map where an enemy can show up, but won't always mm-hmm. show up. And it's not always the same enemy mm-hmm. or enemy group. Uh, you get to do some gymnastics as you play the video game to like, I'm going to enter this room. Okay, there's a mouse there. I'm going to fight the mouse. Or maybe I don't want to fight that mouse. I'm going to exit the room. I'm going to enter the room again. Oh, now it's... Uh, slug i'll fight that slug instead (laughs) and and there's a lot of like 
if you want to be... I'm going to walk off... I'm going to walk away so that they're off the map, so that they despawn. Now I'm going to walk back. This was before I knew the word despawn. Yes. I had developed mm. this technique for, like, waving back and forth on the map, trying to get a better situation for me to walk through so I didn't have to fight, or so that I could fight something less scary. And... This is the first opportunity to, like, practice this. Because otherwise we've just been on the overworld where it's kind of, you know. Now we're in a closed, tight quarters, and it becomes a lot more valuable to try and conserve yes. your health and healing. I will say I've tried to do this with sharks in town. Okay. Uh, and I also have... No, I'm not sure if I did this on purpose, but there have been situations where in trying to evade... Like, trying to get a shark to... Uh, despawn I have lured a shark all the way north up through town <laughs> and then had to fight him outside the library or something that's classic that's video games that's, pretty good. <laughs> that's video games uh, yeah but you learn that technique here this isn't maybe the dungeon that I've used it the most um, there's definitely some playthroughs where I'm really low level doing some late dungeons uh, and you get really creative hmm um, but this is your first chance to learn that. Uh, there, uh, it's as dungeons go coming from a, a series of Zelda podcasts. Uh, it almost seems a shame to call this a dungeon because it's really more like a, a cool space that you walk through on the way to a boss. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of it as a dungeon. I just, I didn't realize that the boss was going to be so early actually. Hmm. Um, there's almost nothing going on except for a couple of side passages where you can either pick up or hope to pick up some extra items. One of the items that you can pick up here is a cold remedy. And this is another thing if that I wonder if it's not a, what do you say, a development artifact. Because you can also buy cold remedies at the general or the hmm. drugstore but nothing around here can give you a cold yeah i feel like there's things here that like just fill up your inventory <laughs> yeah yeah the uh the getting a cold in this game is kind of the analogy to being poisoned in a uh, dragon quest or whatever and it seems like they wanted to introduce that mechanic earlier and then decided against hmm. it. Yeah, it's hard enough. Yeah. Yeah, as a, like, RPG, Earthbound's a little underbaked in some ways. Yeah. As, like, yep. a, as when it comes to the fighting aspect and the level, and, like, that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. That's not the focus. That generally is not the focus of the series, I think, as a whole. And it's definitely here where it you're, you're going through the motions and there is some challenge and some finesse but mostly it's just there as a vehicle to propel the game forward yeah yeah i feel like also the the battles feel like almost part of the story too or like the story the feeling of the story or the arc of your adventure yeah. like because in this area for example you you're fighting little bugs and mice which is very funny <laughs> and it seems like really easy, but then you start to realize that each of them has like, or at least some of them have really good attacks or really good moves that are actually surprisingly tough. And so you have to kind of like surf through these battles and figure out what they're like, how to best these little bugs and mice. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's sort of like, it's a feeling more than like, more than like the regular number based battles again. Definitely. When you say it's when Zach says it's underbaked as far as combat, it's like it's its priority is not to. I mean, it, it partly is an issue of priority. I think you could say it's an issue of execution as well, that uh, elements of the combat are lacking compared to uh, games with better combat. But what the combat accomplishes is to add to the mood and the mm -hmm. story definitely yeah mm. yeah it's not like it's i i, I don't want to say that the combat is perfunctory just because it's an rpg game you've got to have guys to fight 
Um, yeah, it doesn't feel so like, like that either. It's not like you could cut out all the combat and have a game that's just as good or better. Yeah. That's oh. actually very interesting. When you when you when you think about how the other games in the series similarly are not as concerned with combat or as concerned with combat in the same way, the function of combat as a storytelling device in those games is really interesting. Mm. Wow. <laughs> okay, anyway. You know what this dungeon does have in common with some of the best Zelda dungeons? Is a part where you go outside. Mm, yeah. And at this point, it's a very good like storytelling technique. Because you step outside into the fresh air. You can see the giant step that you're questing toward. But it's inaccessible now. You have to go through some more dungeon to get there. There's also a magic butterfly that always spawns out here. And by walking way over to the edge of this little break area, you can make the magic butterfly respawn and use this as a free healing spot hmm. with infinite PP. So you have a nice safe place to learn what a magic butterfly does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this, you know, because this is the first dungeon, it, it makes it a little easier. So you kind of have a chance mm -hmm. to get your bearings for, you know, whereas later on, that's not a guarantee that you're going to have a little safe room in a place. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go back inside and uh, they do a great job of, they, they mess with the the topology i think so that uh when you went outside you didn't gain any elevation you just walked from you know on a plateau area or a terrace out and then back in but when you go back in you're much higher in the overall oh, map of yeah. the place huh. and so you feel like you're really going up this inside this mountain and then you go up a bunch of ropes to get to the very top where titanic ant is actually if you try to match up the inside and outside of this dungeon it doesn't make a lick of sense <laughs> um but like the effect is pretty stellar then you see the weird star blocking the way this sparkly thing ahead it's a sentient lens flare <laughs> <laughs> and it says uh you finally got here or something this is uh, the first Your Sanctuary location, but it's mine now. Take it from and me if you dare. Take it from me if you dare. We have at last uh, the what the function of the dungeon as a you know just a place that you walk through was to take us all the way away from normal suburban life, right? To take us out of <laughs> I'm a, a little kid equipping a baseball bat and a baseball cap to the fantasy RPG world. Hmm. And now at the very top of this dungeon, we're able to get into a fantasy RPG battle with a totally fantastic creature. It's not just a, you know, a dog or a bug that's acting weird. It's a giant ant that <laughs> yeah. talks. We get a lot of these sanctuary bosses who are just large versions of other enemies. And I like that. That's pretty good. F fan of that. This is the first time I think you get the boss fight theme from mother yeah. is what they use for oh, this. Okay. So this is a returning theme, which kind of indicates a, a degree of like, Oh, okay. This is more serious. <laughs> um, He's also got two little flunkies behind him. And one is like blocked, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's rough to, for there to be two black antoids supporting this guy. But at this point, I've leveled up enough that I have Psychic Shark, PSI Shark, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I, on a previous episode, you asked me what it was and I forgot, but it's Shark, obviously, because it's the best animal. <laughs> and uh, you can use that to take them out pretty easily. And then it's just a uh, kind of just a numbers game because Titanic Ant will pretty quickly drain your 
Psychic points. Well, Titanic Ant has, as far as I know, four attacks. I think that that's the maximum number of attacks an enemy in Earthbound can have. I used to know this. I believe you. Okay. Um, it has PSI Magnet to steal your PP. And it has a biting attack that does a pretty decent amount of damage. And the first time I fought Titanic Ant, that's all it used. It just started out by stealing all my PP hmm. so that I couldn't heal myself. And then it just kept biting me over and over again. So I died. <laughs> but it also has shield alpha and defense down alpha as ways of manipulating your stats and its stats. And the second time I fought him, it only used shield alpha and defense down alpha and hardly tried to bite me at all. <laughs> and it turns out that shield alpha is not that great. I mean, it doesn't do that much to reduce damage and defense down alpha doesn't do that much to increase the damage the Titanic Ant deals when it does happen to bite me. So um, <laughs> it was a really RNG dependent experience for me. To find out what kinds of battles you can have with Titanic Ant. And clearly it's not like the AI is not sophisticated enough to ensure a balanced encounter. No. Where it could say, <laughs> you know what? How about cycling through like randomize this list of four attacks and then make sure you use each one once before you use one another time. That's a very, uh, a very rudimentary way of doing enemy AI that Earthbound doesn't even bother <laughs> trying yeah. that. I, this fight ends up being a pretty good like early game difficulty check, where especially yeah. you know as, as a game that is intended to be played by children to like teach the player like okay, this guy's kind of tough, but if you just focus on keeping your hit points up. And using your, you know, using your resources for that, you can get through this. Like, there's no trick to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. just a don't panic. Do the thing you need to do and you'll get through this. Whereas, like, but as a child, like, it might take you a couple tries. It took me a couple mm -hmm. tries yeah. as a kid yeah. to, like, Definitely. figure this out and be like, oh, it's not as bad as it seems. You just have to practice good RPG, like, etiquette almost. <laughs> <laughs> He's a cool guy. He's iconic because he's Titanic. <laughs> and uh, th then you defeat him. He fades away and you can go outside into the top of Giant Step where there's a, there's a big footprint in the grass. Yeah. This I never thought very hard about what this yeah. is. I guess it's just a place where grass refuses to grow or there are like little craters in the shape of a footprint. It's your oh. sanctuary. We've done too many tangents on this episode, and so I don't feel like I want to get into what the heck your sanctuary <laughs> means right now. We have It'll start making more sense one. after we've seen yeah. more of them anyway. That's yeah. right. We need more evidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I go up to my sanctuary, and I'm healed by its energy, and I have a vision. Well, first I record part of a melody to my soundstone. Which, weird. Hmm. Especially since it's 1994, I have not played Mother. This idea of recording a melody to a stone. Yeah, they don't explain that, do they? <laughs> no. No, they but don't. Buzzbuzz it... does. Oh, well, yeah. Well, what okay. does he explain? He said you need to collect just, the power of each sanctuary location. He doesn't say it's in the form of a song, I don't believe. Okay. But he does say you're going to each like power point to collect its energy or something akin to that. This didn't feel particularly unusual to me having played Link's Awakening. I was going to say, mm. when you, <laughs> you can use the soundstone and you get a pretty intricate cutscene that reminds me of Link's Awakening because it's got yeah. eight spots. Uh, yeah. Where it'll play yeah, yeah. as much of the song as you have done. In the same way that in Link's Awakening, you can go try and wake the windfish if you only have so many instruments. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, Buzz Buzz at the beginning does say you can record the melodies from the eight-year sanctuary locations into this stone. Mm, okay. Which kind of 
elides the fact that it's all part of one big melody. And of course, what what collecting the entire melody signifies is not explained by Buzz Buzz and is not totally explained in the game itself. Yeah. But yes, it's it's we have again, this is what when you get way out into the wilderness, into the magic space, then you're able to deal in these abstractions. Yep. Uh good job us. Good job. I'm going to walk back through the dungeon and all the mice and ants are going to run away from me. Hey, something we didn't mention is that several of the enemies in this dungeon are just dots on the open map. Really, really good. And yet, like, the game knows that this is a good idea. And so it doesn't spoil it right away. You have to get to this point before you can fight the enemies who are just two pixels on the screen. And they're going to turn into ants that can kill you. Also, the, um, geez, I forgot what they're called. What are the snails? Or is it slugs attack called? slugs. <laughs> the attack slugs are really good enemies that are pretty useless. And they will try to cast psychic attacks at you and fail. But if you let the battle go on long enough, then they will be able to concentrate. Which is terrifying (laughs) that all the slug needs is time to concentrate and then it will be able to cast like it's almost worse than the monsters in this game that just are able to have magic powers inexplicably this one is like the magic power is lurking beneath the surface and it's pretty soon this slug is going to turn into an actual monster so the slugs represent an enemy archetype in the game that shows up a bunch of times of like the lucrative experience enemy where they're generally pretty easy to kill or have some trick to kill and it'll give you a lot of experience pretty quick. So shout outs mm. to slugs. Mm. <laughs> slugs are good for something. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. So we were, the enemies are running away from us. We're fine. At some point I feel like, on your way out, you're able to see that there's a cop outside the entertainer's shack. Oh, maybe. Um, some some amount of time before you actually exit. And it's good foreshadowing, yeah. if I'm remembering this correctly. I think so, yeah. Uh, and then when you actually come out of the shack, the cop chews you out for disobeying the sign. And he says, can't you read? No. Uh... I don't know what he... He says something like, oh, you're going to talk back. Get your butt to the police station pronto. Yeah. Um, he, he. If you say you could read the sign, then he has a somewhat less funny uh, answer about, well, uh, you could you could read it, but you didn't pay any attention to it. Get your butt to the police station pronto. And I want to pay careful attention to the order of events here because I think that the game has developed a narrative in people's memory that it doesn't actually have. Well, the well, the what we remember about this game is because you trespassed at giant step, even with the mayor's permission, kind of the police are mad at you. And so you have to fight the police. That's not what happens, though. You go to the police station. The The guy who told you to come down to the police station kind of arrested you <laughs> ineffectually. Mm-hmm. He yells at you about it for a while, but doesn't have anything else to do. If you talk to Chief Strong, he kind of doesn't care about the trespassing. He says, you know, like kids at times like these with everything going on in town kids like you should be at home playing nintendo games but he says so do you really want to go to tucson which nobody had really brought up oh i know yeah but there's a there's a trick to this i know the trick to this okay what's the trick at this point i believe if you go stay the night somewhere if you go sleep you don't don't go you don't go get healed by frank if you go sleep Dang. You get a message from Paula. Okay. And there are hints in town that Paula is in Tucson. 
Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, everyone's been course, hyping up Paula. If you if you just if you say, Well, I'm not going to go to the police station, I'll get in trouble. I'm just gonna play the rest of the game instead, then the roadblocks controlled by the police are blocking your way to Tucson. Um, There's that same guy from before who is stuck and he's just like, I can't believe this. (laughs) I forgot about that. But so like it's the, the interaction that you have with chief strong really has nothing to do with the trespassing in the, um, in giant step. It's just a, semi-artful semi-artless way of changing the subject as far as the game is concerned um in order to give you a reason to go on to the next thing uh but you're right the the, his line makes a lot more sense if you do get that psychic message good Mm -hmm. point and so if you if you say you don't want to go to tucson then he's like okay fine uh and he lets you go it's only when you say, yes, I want to go to the next town. I want to leave the borders of my hometown, please. He says, all right, let me take you into the back room. Chortle. <laughs> there's there's a lot of on a lot of P's in this game that I've like internalized. Uh, because the dialogue, some of the dialogue in this game is written very. How would you describe that when you like write a lot of onomatopoeia in dialogue? And a lot of like, how how do you describe that? Because I mean, it's it, kind of like a screenplay format. Almost. Yeah, it's meant to be like interpreted like very. It gives it gives the the dialogue a lot more. I like, want to say it's written in dialect, if that makes sense. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so when he says chortle, or when Pokey says snicker, yeah, yeah, I'm like yeah. I, I think about those a lot. It's like that's it's it's doing a different kind of mode than other rpgs might go for necessarily and he says that like if you can get if you can take on five of my best men then i'll let you go into the next town and i want (laughs) to i want to specify that this isn't a punishment for anything he's just making you prove yourself for some reason yeah it's still kind of aggressive (laughs) it is it's really weird um but like it's a case where I like I looking at it more critically now, I feel like I had this idea that Chief Strong was being an evil adult yeah. in this case. And he's not really. He's being a draconian adult, but not in the not in a way where he's punishing you for no reason, in mm-hmm. a way where he insists that you prove yourself before you're allowed to leave. Hmm. I mean, it's and kind then you of fight like, a bunch of cops. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same as Frank. You have to prove yourself. A bit, yeah. Yeah, this is like a yakuza bit or something. Where these, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. These cops are really into martial arts for <laughs> yeah. goofy reasons, and they're all really excited to fight this kid. <laughs> That's so strange. And there's definitely like, it, and there's there's a whole room they have for it. That's like right. an empty room that they just fight kids in or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, there's definitely like a you can read into this, right? Um, that there maybe is doing some commentary, but I don't think that's entirely the intention. But, you know, th- maybe there's something to be said about because this, this is a game written in the 90s by some Japanese folks. So it's not doing direct commentary, but, you know, maybe it's touching on some themes of police brutality by osmosis in mm. some interesting like which which if that's bleeding through in 1990x that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. in its own way but yeah. this is way played as more of a goofy thing i can't really read it that way um I'm, i i'm trying to read it from a 1990x perspective and it seems more like just like this is what they would do in some stupid martial arts movie so that's what we're doing mm-hmm. in this game yeah, I, um, I, I can see the other way, but I think it's definitely more of a goofy thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this fight is hard. Yes. The, it's harder than Titanic Ant. Yes. Whereas Titanic Ant is this like fair early game, like yeah. check, difficulty check mm-hmm. for the player. This is a kind of unfair early game difficulty check. 
especially since you're given no reason and not much opportunity to gain a level in between. Yeah, um, no. The game doesn't tell you, like, uh-oh, another boss fight is coming. It's not like you have a bunch more monsters to get experience from in between, unless you happen to be a sadist who attacks every monster on your way out of giant step, which maybe you're supposed to do. I don't know. Huh. I can't think that's mm. true, but... Okay. It's kind of tempting. I think us I think we are thinking harder about this than the developers did. Yes. The cops are all tough and then the last one refuses to fight you. <laughs> he sees <laughs> that you're too tough. And so he just runs out and then Chi Strong, in a very good moment of animation, walks toward you super slowly. <laughs> and he has another immortal line. I know this one. I know this one. Okay. He says, I can't beat you in a straight competition. So he said, get ready for my yeah. super, ultra, super ultra Mambo Tango Foxtrot Martial Arts. Wow. And you're making the same mistake that I made for years. Oh, what is it? What did I get wrong? Well, you got the very first words wrong. That's not what I mean. He says, there is no way I can beat you in a straight competition. Ah, okay. So you shouldn't feel proud of memorizing the line. But... Super Ultra Mambo Tango Foxtrot Martial Arts. As a kid, I have no idea what Mambo or Tango or Foxtrot are. I know that, like, at least one of those is a dance. But Mambo, like Mambo, I say Mambo, or I said Mambo for years because I had no idea what he was talking about. Now that I am a cool adult on my 16th or 17th time through this game, I'm like, oh, Mambo Tango Foxtrot Martial Arts is like a combination of three different dance steps to make a fighting style. So it's funny that he's a dance fighter, but then in the battle, he just kind of stares at you. Or he attacks with crushing chops. Yeah. And he loses his temper, which is a cool attack. (laughs) There's a lot of real flavorful, like, enemy actions in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Again, the... Different moves that an enemy can use, um, biting you or karate chopping you or losing uh, their temper or like all the different stuff that they can do to waste time. Um, it is part of combat as a storytelling mechanism. Yeah. The reason it's there is not just to create a balanced encounter, but to create a flavorful story of fighting this guy or fighting this monster which is especially important when nobody has any animations hmm. i was thinking i'm trying to think of something to say about that um and about how we talked about how the game is doing a dialogue in a dialect style and this isn't hmm. the same thing but it's having to do all the 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 work of conveying the action of a fight through text yes and so it has to be a little more imaginative other than just like a slime appears slime attack this much damage right ness attack this much damage they have to because it's trying to be a little more verbose this is a writer's game yeah yeah it has and so by necessity everything serves the textual experience yeah. yeah these are fun battles yeah they're funny yeah it's how do you make instead of doing the like math of how do you do a correct rpg battle it's how do you take the format of an rpg battle and make it into a little comedy sketch yeah i don't have any more notes for this part we've defeated the man the bad man he pulls out a radio he has a sprite where he pulls out the radio (laughs) and he radios to let ness through kid in a cap let the kid in the cap through um we get oh i was just gonna shout out to parking meter cop there's a there's a lady in the front who Mm -hmm. before you go fight the cops is like i really wish i'd just be a parking meter cop i don't want to be a whatever other kind of cop 
and then after you finish the fight, uh, congratulations, she gets to be a parking meter cop now. Oh. Wow, I didn't notice that. <laughs> uh, Wonderful. Wow, it really does reward you for talking to people again. That's cool. You also get the uh, door-knocking tech used for the jail cells. Ah. Oh, yeah. Which is very <laughs> fun and very goofy. Um, What's the guy say, like... This is a jail. You aren't supposed to be here. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. These I'm criminals are like incredulous <laughs> in a very in a very hokey way. Uh, oh, right. Um, if you knock on one of them, he says, "Hey, I'm in here. Go and find another can." <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a toilet. Oh, uh, it's so funny when you're a kid. I mean, it's still funny, but. I remember it's some of time. these lines from being a kid. <sighs> but we did it. We did yeah. it. We and beat I went, the first town. I went and took we a can. took a nap after this. And oh wait, what's that? I'm getting a weird oh. voice in my head that's telling me to go. Zach is getting Tucson. has a weird voice in his head. It's telling him to go to Tucson. Interesting. I was just thinking earlier that I'm glad we're getting done with this town so we can stop disagreeing about how the name of the town is pronounced. <laughs> but apparently that's going to continue on the next episode of Third Strongest Podcast. Mm-hmm.